You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. And once again, as we come to worship today, we're coming through one of these very difficult weeks in the life of our nation. And I know as we watch the tragic violence that occurred in our capital this week, it was unsettling for all of us on so many levels. There's personal implications for every one of us. There are obviously national implications. But then also what happened on Wednesday hits close to home at our house as a lot of our Passion City DC family serve every day on the hill. And many of them were serving our nation on Wednesday. And so I went to DC yesterday. I wanted to see Ben and Donna face to face. I wanted to carry the love of Shelly, myself, and our house to them and to their team. I wanted to put my arms around them. I wanted to tell them that we love them, that Atlanta is for them, that we are praying for them as they process all of what we're processing, but from a different vantage point. And I wanted to hear from them and to hear how they're doing. And while I was there, I sat down with Pastor Ben Stewart and we had a conversation together yesterday that we just believe is an encouraging word for our house. A word for our house, not so much addressing every single angle of what happened this week. That wasn't our goal, it wasn't our intent. It was really more just to call all of us up to what God wants us to be, to call all of us up to the people that God wants us to be moving forward in a landscape that's so filled with anger and distrust and division to help us keep our eyes set on Jesus so that we can invite the nation and the world to see Jesus with the hope that people will turn to Jesus and that we as a nation will see Jesus do what only he can do in our land. So we're going to listen together and I pray and believe that all of us are going to be encouraged that we have a hope and a trust in a God who is unshakable. And we are a city on a hill. We are light in a darkened world. That's who he's calling us to be, who he's equipping us to be. And that's who we can be even in these days. So let's listen together. Let's ask God for his mercy and for his grace in our lives today. And let's ask God for his mercy in our nation today. Will you listen with me? Thanks. Well, hey, Passion City family. It's great to all be together. Uh, Atlanta, DC, and everybody who's journeying along with us. It's a unique week to be together, but I'm glad we're getting to. Uh, the Lord is a refuge and an ever-present help in days of trouble. And so it's good for the people of Jesus to come together and worship Him, to pursue Him, and to believe that God has a hope and a future for us together. And I'm grateful for today. Today's um, Saturday. We're filming this a day early here in Washington, D.C. And I'm grateful because uh, Pastor Louie called me yesterday, the day before, and to just check on me, to check on us here in D.C. And then said, hey, I want to come up and to see you and to be with you and uh, to encourage you and just to visit together. So thank you for caring and 
for loving us and for being here. We're grateful. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as everything was happening on Wednesday, in real time, you and I were on the phone together at the very beginning of all those events, talking together. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to have that lens of, you know, you have the outside looking in and then you have the inside looking out in D.C. And our family here, Passion City, D.C., has been a lot more about the inside looking out than the outside looking in. And we've been praying for you. And um, I just want you to know that our whole Passion City Church family, Atlanta, D.C., um, our hearts were quickly thinking about you and Donna and the team here and thinking about a lot of our family at Passion City Church, D.C., who actually were in the Capitol as all of these events went down. In fact, some of those people are actually among the few people that are here today. And we just wanted you to know that we love you. And um, I wanted all of our Passion City Church family, uh, Ben and Donna, to know that we're proud of you and we love you and we believe in you. And we're so grateful that God has put you in this moment of time to be a city on a hill a light that is shining in this city and from this city shining out to the world. It's kind of interesting because we're just doing this on a very small scale because we're in D.C. right now, but I know there's uh, applause erupting at 515 in Cumberland. That's our house. People all across our house are wanting you to know how much we love you. And I just I also want Passion City, D.C. to know how much we love you. And even the few conversations I've had today um, have helped me understand the sense of confusion, shock, um, processing sadness that people have had who were firsthand experiencers of what went down here at the Capitol on Wednesday. And um, we just want you to know we love you and we are with you in this journey. And the words of Jesus are in my heart as we're even beginning this conversation today. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And we always say at Passion City Church that Jesus is our lead story. And I just wanna remind all of us today that he's still our lead story. And he is the same yesterday. You could count on him yesterday. He's the same today. You can depend on him, trust in him, rest all of your hope in him today. And he's gonna be the same tomorrow because our house is not built on men. Our house is built on Jesus. And our faith is not built on our house. Our faith is built on Jesus. And so let's keep our eyes on him and know that as you're doing that, we're praying with you and for you. Um, as you're processing this in a different way than a lot of us in Atlanta are. It was interesting that on Tuesday, Atlanta was sort of the epicenter of the story of our nation. On Wednesday, D.C. was the epicenter of the story of our nation. And our two churches are in Atlanta and in D.C. And I just believe again, Ben, that for such a time as this, and I know the church always sort of kicks that phrase in to difficult seasons, confusion, confusing seasons, painful seasons. But when Mordecai said that to Esther, he was saying it out of faith, understanding that God somehow works in and through all things. He, he's working on a level that's higher than we can understand or imagine. And I was just thinking, Ben, three years ago, you weren't in D.C., 
Five years ago, you probably weren't even thinking about being in D.C., but for such a time as this, God has put you and Donna here, put an amazing team around you, and built a phenomenal church, a vibrant church of Jesus people who are building community and who are reaching out to help the city, all areas of the city, and who are shining Jesus to the world. And so... Passion City, D.C., for such a time as this, God has put you together. And he's going to hold you together and keep you together for the purpose that he brought you together, which is to keep shining Jesus in the midst of our nation's capital. And we're behind you. We have been, are, and will be behind you in that process. But I I, I just want you to help. You've helped me see, and some of your team has helped me see, Ben. But for those of us in Atlanta, what was it like being here on Wednesday and having to lead your people, your church, through Wednesday and into today? Yeah, that's um, a great question. You know, it it is, um, like you said, it's a different experience. I mean, the capital is everybody's capital that lives in America. It's all of ours. But for those who live here, it's also where they go to work, it's where they take walks, it's where they jog, it's where they live. And when it's your home, it's a little bit of a different experience. And, you know, it's great to your point earlier, um, you know, when, when COVID first hit and we had to do church different, I remember the first time we did a drive-by just donation moment for our church, uh, a, a member of, of our church family driving by and saying, isn't it... Um, isn't it amazing that God let us be established before this crisis hit so we could have people to call and people to love each other? And I just loved her perspective. Like that was her first thought, like, isn't this great that we have an us as things begin to, to have an issue? And um, I thought about that a lot this week because there's been so many times that this us has been one of God's greatest gifts to us, being able to pray for each other and quote scripture over each other and believe for each other. And And that was a big part of Wednesday. You know, Wednesday, um, like a lot of you, uh, you know, we were watching the news as the situation unfolded at the Capitol, but we were also getting texts on our staff real time from people that go to our church that work in the Capitol and around it. And um, I, I found for people who don't live in D.C., sometimes the perspective can get lost that, you know, if you think about every senator and and representative has a staff, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of their staff are under 30. So when you think about the Capitol and surrounding offices and complex, you're thinking about primarily 20 year olds who came to the Capitol to make a difference and do something good in the world. And that's who was in that space working, fulfilling their civic duty. And they started receiving messages and were passing them along to us that were fairly quick, like the perimeter's been breached, shots have been fired, bombs found in our office. Um, Mm. And we're reacting to that, praying over them, um, quoting scripture to them. We had a chance that night to pull together our team leaders. We have about 60 team leaders that, that lead all of our door holders and we grouped together that night and, you know, that night wasn't like, oh, man, it's over. It's like, no, the, it's still a live ball. Like, Congress is going to come back and do what Congress meant to do. And so their staff's there. And we were able to pray together. And it really was, um, I think sometimes people trivialize quoting the word of God like these aren't the words of God. And prayer, like it's just something you say tritely. But to come around words like Colossians that 
Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Mm -hmm. Like we cohere because he exists and because he chooses for us to. Calling on a God who is above all earthly powers and reigns over every throne and principality and to do that together with people that are still sitting in the capital. There's power to that. And so to me, it wasn't necessarily in that moment on Wednesday or, or, or even the following day about... Um, interpreting global events. It's about people we know who were officers that were wounded that day and, um, and people who were working in the Capitol who were doing their best to do good for the world and for our country that were uh, scared for their life. And uh, so it is deeply personal. So I just want to thank all of you for praying for us because it's church family that we're praying for. These are people, these are our sons and daughters. These are uh, our children. This is our family. And uh, it matters the way we treat each other. It matters the way we talk to each other. It matters the way we conduct ourselves um, and that we do it with great love and respect. And so I'm as proud as I've ever been of our church in particularly here in DC to watch a lot of these young believers circle around each other and to, I had some of them say to me, we were quoting scripture to each other that we were learning as we were sharing in our fight clubs scripture and praying together and seeing that that gave them the stability with which to then look at their 19 year old interns and to say, hey, let's get you to another room. Um, Let's call your parents. And they could function in that environment because the words of God are a a sure and steady foundation for us. So I'm rambling a bit, but I'm, I'm proud of our people. And I believe in the fact that God has built a church that can endure hard days and he's built the church for days like this. And uh, I'm grateful to see that a Passion City DC uh, can function and do good even in a difficult day. Yeah, I know my, my thoughts went immediately that day to a, a, a good friend of mine, um, Pastor Brad is here today as well, a lot closer friend of Pastor Brad and an anchor in Passion City DC for a season. Um, who was a Capitol policeman. And then there are currently people linked into our Passion City DC family that are Capitol police and working in that area. And immediately my mind and my heart are, these are our friends. These are people that we know and love and care about. Not that every single one of those people aren't important and valuable, but it's just different when you put names and faces to the reality. And yes, there are big global issues and that's not really what we're here to solve today. But as a pastor, you think about people and you and I pastor people across the spectrum politically. We, we pastor people on both sides of these issues. Our nation's extremely divided right now. We had an election in Georgia, one of which was decided by, I didn't see the final number, 20,000 votes out of 4 million people. So Georgia's divided. Yeah. Um, and our churches have, we have brothers and sisters across that spectrum yeah. in both of our churches. Yeah. And so it's a different uh, calling that you and I are called to, not just to try to speak to the issues. Of course, we want us to lift up God's word in everything we do, yeah. but to pastor people. Yeah. And um, in the Capitol that day, there were a lot of people with names and faces um, not only were, were, was I grieving for what I was seeing play out on the macro, but I was also concerned for you and for the people that you're pastoring and leading that are actually now 
Um, as I've even heard personally today, like, I don't know where I am. It's going to take me a, a while to, to understand what I experienced, the trauma of it, and um, to come through that. Yeah. And I think it's important. I think it does help to humanize the experience, to think about people we know and who serve in our church. We're not just evacuated from the Capitol, but from their homes near the Capitol because of bomb threats, you know, leaving their home because of that. And, um, you know, we moved. Um, we're not far from the Capitol, but we were right by there. So no, knowing and we're talking to people who had to leave their home, you know, I'm looking at the face of my, my children and uh, saying, okay, we live in this city. My kids live in this city. And I think it has helped me to shrink it down to, like you were talking about, we live in a divided day and the way our media is built, it is built to polarize and irritate and exacerbate and, and it can become such a war about the issues and it helps to come back to people. And for me to say, I want to live in a city and I want to live in a world where when people disagree about an issue, they can say, we disagree about this, but I profoundly love you mm -hmm. and care about you. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the, we were talking about this earlier too, one of the um, results of a moment like this is I think we take the word of God much more seriously in different parts. Alex was just quoting it to me of, you know, the verse that life and death is in the tongue. I mean, people say that and say it like life and death, like quality of life. You're like, no, really, like, it begins with words of animosity and when the words get louder and louder and louder, then it becomes physical damage and people lost their lives here in this city. Mm -hmm. And so um, it begins with how we speak to each other that can escalate us down a path of death. Or if we say, let me recalibrate how we speak to each other, the tongue of the wise brings healing, Proverbs says. Mm -hmm. And so for all of us, say, can we create an environment where we can disagree on an issue, but I profoundly care about you and I care about your children and I humanize them. So because I care about them and want them to live, I'm gonna make sure my words are wise. I'm gonna be like James said, slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness God requires. I, if I give in to words of anger, I'm already off the path of righteousness. Mm. And if I wanna be right, I need to to pause and recalibrate my emotional state. So when I speak to you, it's with dignity and respect as a human being made in God's image. And I think we're starting to take the word, I hope we're starting to take the word seriously because this is a path of life for us if we obey it. Yeah, I think that, you know, for me as a pastor, I always want to immediately default to the ultimate solution. And you hear that said in these days, like America needs revival. We need a spiritual awakening in this nation. And sometimes people can dismiss that and they say, oh, that sounds like what a pastor would say. That's like the aesthetics back in the old days. Uh, they didn't want to deal with reality. They went and hid themselves away and, you know, only meditated on the spiritual things. But it's not that. Yeah. It's more powerful than that. Because I said to a friend a few days ago, who was kind of hitting back on that America needs revival. They said, no, America needs this, this, and this. And I said, tell me what solution for our nation right now, for our cities is more powerful than people being saved, people repenting of their sins, people being saved by the power of the blood of Jesus, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, 
people getting into the word of God, joining together in Jesus-focused communities of faith, local churches, and then growing, as Paul said in Romans 12, into this idea, do not be conformed any longer to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What solution is greater for America right now than for millions of people to get saved and be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the word of God and begin maturing into the very likeness of Jesus. And so that's where I want to lead our church. That's where I want to lead our people because no matter where you're looking at the issue from, certainly we all in Christ can agree on that. And we can begin to say, let's start praying. I was thinking about Nehemiah. And when the word had reached him in captivity, that Jerusalem was a wipeout. Uh, The walls were destroyed. The gates were destroyed. The people were in despair. It said he wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed, and he called out on the God of heaven. And I just say, man, if the church could get there, then we would be poised to do what he did, which was to move into action and to leverage his opportunity and then to see God move supernaturally. Yeah, absolutely. I keep going back to myself, Colossians 3, where it says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And I think lately now that's helped me to go, my eyes need to be up right now first. Mm. I've quit checking the news first thing in the morning because I felt like it just automatically pivots me to anxiety and anger. And um, I need to set my mind on things above so I can have this perspective when I read the news and I can come at it prayerfully. You know, but then he's saying, when you set your minds on things above, he says, put to death what's earthly in you. And he starts naming earthly things. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Like God's gonna judge wickedness. Like I think a lot of people are wondering, is there justice in the universe? Like, yes. And it's terrifying when you get your mind on the wrath of God against sin. And he says, you used to walk in all this, but now you put it away. And then he starts listing, you put away anger, you put away wrath, you put away malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. You don't lie to each other. You've put off your old self with its practices and you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. He says, here there's no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free. And what I think is interesting about that, Paul, is he picks the... uh, ethnic and political and religious and social names they would call each other that exacerbated their issues. Mm -hmm. He said, you used to be completely circumscribed by the things that polarized you. And I'm telling you, put it away. And that doesn't mean you don't care about important issues. It means we don't talk like this anymore. But as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we put on compassionate hearts. He says, we literally clothe ourselves with co-passion, meaning I need to try to understand your hurt and I need to hurt along with you. And so for me, when I've been praying in the mornings, I'm trying to do that. Like, let me understand the hurt of people because a lot of people's anger, anger is a secondary emotion. It's coming out of hurt. Um, Where's that hurt coming from? And what I keep seeing in the news is people are, they're angry because they can't find out the truth. What's true? What's, what's true about this and that? And, and people long for truth and go, okay, maybe you um, are asking for it in different areas and maybe you're believing wrong things and maybe you're taking terrible decisions because of that, but I can understand your longing for truth. 
Or some of them are like, man, I want better decisions about how to handle COVID, about how to handle the injustices in our society. And, and you go, okay, I can understand the desire for wisdom and leadership. And uh, some people are like, I want people to care about the fact that my business is closing or the fact that my family is dying or the fact that we are not getting justice in some key areas. You go, okay, you want compassion. And so I, I was looking at it the other day and I'm like, for so many of us that maybe voted differently, our hearts are screaming for truth and wisdom and compassion and love. And those are the things the spirit of God gives. So when you're talking about that, like we're praying for revival, we're like, yeah, cause that changes things. Yeah. And I don't like it when people trivialize the word of God, like, oh, you're just quoting the Bible and saying, pray. And you're like, yeah, because I believe this changes things and it changes me and it changes how I talk to you. Mm-hmm. And um, a house divided cannot stand. And I think we are in an important day of can our house stand, not if we keep polarizing, but if we can dial back the anger and begin to speak to one another clothed in co-passion. I still believe people that are on opposite ends of political spectrums that have their faith in Jesus can speak to one another with love and respect and find ways to move forward together. I believe that. Yeah, the word of God is central. (laughs) And, you know, even this text, a lot of us have heard this text all of our lives. uh, In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living and a holy sacrifice, pleasing to God. Don't be conformed to this world. And a lot of us can quote around that. But then this whole chapter breaks down into now, here's what that's going to produce in your life. And it's exactly what Paul's saying in Colossians, just with different skin in a different moment to the Romans. And he's saying, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. He keeps going, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Do not repay, skipping down anyone evil for evil, but do right in the eyes of everybody. Why? Because God will avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. And so he ends the chapter with, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we're talking about a gospel engine that has the power to actually transform us. And that's one of the things that's been, that I've been working through in this season. For me, it's been the, the three Fs. I'm flawed. So I gotta keep kidding around that. I have to keep admitting to myself and helping myself re- realize and remember, I'm not perfect. Yeah. Like if I'm in charge of all this, it's not gonna have a perfect outcome because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. The guy I'm talking to isn't perfect. Um, secondly, I'm afraid. Probably not supposed to admit that. So just let Ben and I talk among ourselves for a moment. I mean, at the end of the last 10 months of leadership, I'm afraid. We're all afraid. Everyone is mentally tapped out. Emotionally, we're afraid. What does that mean? It means if I bend my elbow too tight, my jacket's going to rip and it's going to expose something that's probably not great. Yeah. And thirdly, we're frustrated. I mean, there is a division and there are deeply held views and there's a high degree of frustration about what you said, about being heard, about the truth coming forth, about wisdom guiding, about being cared about, being seen, being valued. 
And there's a lot of frustration. And I know that in that, I need gospel transformation. Um, I need to continue to look into my heart and go, Lord, search me. Thank you for having mercy on me. Thank you for showing grace to me and helping me mature, helping me become closer to the standard that you want for me. And I think if I do that, I'm finding myself have a little extra measure of grace for you. And in this season, that's been a guiding principle principle for me. Just extend as much grace as you can to people right now. People are saying things and doing things and making decisions and acting out in ways that maybe when we look back a year from now, we might all go, I wish I hadn't said that quite like that, or I wish I hadn't responded quite like that. And I want to keep letting this gospel work work in me because I've got a ways to go still to get to where God wants me to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, um, I was feeling that same, like uh, I was having trouble sleeping, anxiety issues just from, and I realized I got to change my rhythm and uh, not start with the news. And I realized I'm going to start decreasing my news intake because um, I don't want to fall below ignorance to where I don't know key things. But a lot of what I'm running into in the news is not truth. It's, it's just so much anxiety. And I'm like, I'm going to dial that back. And I've just been reading, for me, reading and writing out the book of Colossians. And, um, you know, Colossians, Paul tells them, I pray for you continually. And he does that a lot. So I was trying to understand what does he mean when he says that to people? And so I was reading a commentary where it says, you know, Paul would set aside an hour every morning and an hour at lunch and an hour at night to pray. And he's letting them know you're in those prayers every time. And I'm praying for your wisdom and your love. And so I was like, okay, he he prayed three hours a day. And I think when I was a kid, people would say stuff like that. And I'd sort of dismiss it like, okay, the super people do that. Mm -hmm. But I had just read this week, the average American spends three and a half hours a day looking at their phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, not looking at a screen for work, not calling someone on the phone, three and a half hours on your phone, just listening to whoever wants to say something to you. Mm-hmm. And so I realized we have the time. So I can't say, well, that's not realistic because I do this. And what's more important, listening to what the word of God says or listening to what this says. And, and, and kind of where it landed on me this week, Lou, you were talking about that with an Esther changing a pagan culture. You know, Daniel did the same thing. Daniel yeah. prayed three hours a day. He's quoting Jeremiah as he's praying. Mm-hmm. And that positioned him so when it came time to have influence on the king and the culture, he had something to say. And the same with Paul, when he was in the presence of a king, yeah. now he had something to say. Because in the quiet places, he wasn't just kind of scanning the news, he was taking in the word of God and the truth. And I just feel like we are at this amazing hinge point in history where um, the church has an opportunity to be a radical counterculture in the world. Uh, Rome changed because the Christians did not take up the sword. They took up radical love even for their enemies. Mm -hmm. And people mocked them, maligned them, misunderstood them, and then followed them because we were a beautiful counterculture. And until we take this seriously and begin to do that, I'm going to seek the Lord earnestly and I'm going to do what he says. So for me, I just keep reading the passages where he says, pray for your enemies. And I'm like, I need to do that. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm watching the news and I see someone do something that infuriates me, I know my marching orders. I pray that God would save that person Mm -hmm. because the Christian can hold together condemnation and compassion and I have to hold together both 
And uh, I want to be a transformative human being like that. I want us to be that. Yeah, just flying in to DC today, you know, it's surreal in a way, you know, to come from the outside and all of a sudden in a, a very small way be on the inside and to understand that it is the power of the gospel. And I think before we can get there as a church and as God's people, we've got to be honest about where we are. And one of my pastor friends said something this week that really, really resonated with me. He said, you know, I've been hearing in the media, left and right, we're better than this. People, we are better than this. We are better than this. And it's one of those phrases that we just fall back on in times like this. And he said, but at some point you have to wake up and realize that your record is what it is. Yeah. And our record right now is what it is. And we are not better than this. And that's not just outside the church, that's inside the church. That's me, you know, and, and, I'm, and at some point we have to just wake up and go, you know, I don't really know if we are better than this because this is what is being produced and visible now when the frayed garment of 2020 rips and you see what's really on the inside. Yeah. And so I think we just have to, as a people of God, just say, Lord, we might not be as great as we think we are. We may, may not be as prepared as we think. We may not be as in the word as we think. We may not be as far along on our journey of being that shining light that you want us to be. And I think as soon as we tip that way, it postures us for the grace of God to do an even greater work in our lives. It positions us for God to move in power into our lives in an, in an even even greater in a deeper way. And isn't that what we need right now in the church? We need a deepening and a strengthening to kind of bring us down from where we thought we were to where God really wants us to be. And I think that um, I was thinking about Paul when he wrote about uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who's at work in you both to do, to will and to do his good pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then he says, the fruit of that's gonna be you're going to be innocent and pure. You're going to look different. You're going to sound different. You're going to be different. And then he said, and you're going to be uh, like stars that shine yeah. in a crooked and a perverse generation. And stars are out there all day, but no one ever talks about them. Yeah. It's only at night that the stars are on display. And it's certainly night right now. Yeah. And what a beautiful thing to think that Christ is the light of the world, but he also said to us, and you are the light of the world. Yeah. And so what a beautiful opportunity we have to see him do the miraculous. And you know, Nehemiah, what he, he wept. I want to weep. Uh, he, he mourned. And there's got to be mourning in our nation. We've lost 350 plus thousand people this season. Yeah. And sooner or later, there's going to be, need to be a mourning. And then we've been through the, the racial tension we've been through and through the political animosity and the devastation in the Capitol and all these moments, there's got to be some mourning happen. We can't just snap our finger and go, well, I'm glad it's 2021. Let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, he fasted and he prayed, but then he engaged with faith and he believed that God was able yeah. And as we all know, the story unfolds in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. 
so powerful that the nations heard about it and feared their God. Yeah. And so I just believe that. And I know as a pastor, you want to tip to the positive, but it's not just the positive, it's the supernatural what, that we're tipping to. Yeah. It's God's ability. And I, wanna, I want Passion City to believe that, that God is going to do something amazing in the days to come, that God is going to do something miraculous and powerful in the seasons to come, that he may even rebuild the wall in 52 days, that the nations would say, who is this God? And um, when it happened, I love it, all the people pitched in, some more than others, some only you know, were, wanted to work on the area outside their front door. But some took on like long stretches of the wall and sacrificed. And they weren't all carpenters and stonemasons and bricklayers. Um, I was thinking about uh, Melchizedek, the goldsmith is in the list. This guy's a goldsmith, but here he is. And he and the merchants and the goldsmith built like a kilometer of this wall. They cared about other people, somebody else's yard, somebody else's well-being, somebody else's future, and they got engaged. And so I believe that's our church, the church. And I believe there's that kind of possibility ahead for us if we keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our hearts saturated in this. And I love what the way that you say that. What did you say? I don't want to drop below the ignorance level. I I need to know the essential information. I want to be informed, but not ignorant. (laughs) But, you know, Jesus, he he lived out his life with a very complicated political backdrop and an extraordinarily um, overheated religious backdrop. And so it says about him, often he would withdraw to a solitary place. He would disengage so that he could re-engage. And I have found that so helpful. Shelly and I, even in the last few weeks, more than ever, have just chosen not to listen to the news. It's like, I know the important things. I know what I feel like I need to know to pray. And then the next four hours of it probably isn't going to change that very much. And so we've just been disengaging so that we can be posturing ourselves around hope and around possibility and around a God who is able. And as you said, a God whose sovereign plans somehow supersede all of it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there can be a part of us that thinks this is all, like you said, pie in the sky and unrealistic, but you look at Jesus and while he's being crucified, he looks up and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do that he can condemn what they're doing is evil, but pray for God to forgive them. And that spirit has existed through the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, you listen to the church fathers, they prayed like that when they were martyred. They would, they would pray for the people martyring them. Mm-hmm. You look at Cory Ten Boom, and she forgave the Nazi who ran the showers at the concentration camp her sister died. And the profound healing of that, you look at John Perkins, who was beaten because of the color of his skin could forgive a Klansman. And you go, the power of the gospel has brought healing into these political worlds before, and it can do it again. I believe that. And it's just, are we gonna take up our birthright as the people of Jesus and take his calling seriously? And I think for many of us, it's not gonna suddenly become a great love for our enemies. But we don't have to start there. We start with pray for our enemies. 
<laughs> and pray for those who persecute you and see if God can't move in you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And I do think you're right. We have a chance to shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. And I want to be that. And I think all of us need to be that because we want to hand that world to our kids. And I want to hand that world to my kids. I want to hand that church to my kids that your parents fought to embody what God called us to in our day. We took up our day. Yeah, I think that's the, the beginning point. And um, I know yesterday when I woke up, uh, interestingly, the, the first thing I thought about was I want to pray for President Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what his particulars are, but that's, that's not on me to know all the particulars. God knows the particulars. And I wanted to pray for President-elect Biden, thinking you're coming into all this and you're going to need an unbelievable dispensation from above to lead into this. And I think that it would be natural, you know, for us to say, well, I want to pray for these people or those people. But when you put it in that context, I mean, there's no one that we shouldn't be praying for. And I want to just invite us as a church today to take up that place that you're talking about and say, my first reaction is going to be, I want to pray for you. I don't know what you're going through, but I know God has a purpose and a plan for you. And I might be the only person that pray for you today. So I want to make sure I'm praying for you. And then we can talk, we can disagree, we can work through issues. And you may even postulate one solution. I might believe in another solution, but I can start by praying for you. And I think that's going to change so much just about our disposition and then our discourse. And it might not put everybody on exactly the same conclusion at the end of the day, but that's that's a step or two away from where we are right now. For right now, it's just beginning to show people the love of God and the dignity, the respect, the civility that, that mirror what it's like to be a recipient of mercy and a child of the King. Yeah. Yeah. I was grateful. Uh, we talked about that, you know, praying with the church around the globe, uh, just a few days ago as you know, at passion, um, you know, I think it was Matt who said it, just maybe the great labor of Passion 20, or of, of 2021 is for the saints to labor in prayer. Because mm-hmm. I do think it, it shows a belief that we believe there is a God who exists and really does change things. And if I want to trivialize that, then maybe I'm not taking him very seriously. But if I believe he exists, then I'm going to beseech him on behalf of our nation. Because I don't want to buy a foregone conclusion that America is going to splinter I want to see the church rise up into the breach and bring healing. And uh, this is where it starts, by crying out to God for mercy. It's where Nehemiah started. It's where Daniel started. Um, It's where I want to start. Maybe it's where we should end. (laughs) Maybe we should end by praying for our church, the rooms of our house, the DC, the Atlanta rooms of our house, and our house, praying for the church and praying for our nation today. And um, I know you guys would love to do that as well. So I'd like to pray for you and Donna and the team and the Passion City DC family. And maybe you can pray for our whole Passion City house and those of us in Atlanta. Atlanta is still gonna be a 
critical uh, place in the equation of the future of America. And maybe you can pray for our house in Atlanta and um, then I'll pray or we can pray together for our, our nation. And I know we got um, social distancing happening and we want to respect that. And, uh, but I want you to visualize me getting up out of this chair right now and walking around this table and putting my hands on Ben's shoulder. And I want you to do that with me today. And if Donna were here, I would put a hand on her shoulder as well because I want to pray this prayer uh, in that spirit, um, in Jesus' name. Yeah. Father, thank you. Thank you for a few moments today just to think about your words, your truth, who you are. To think that people through every generation and through every century and every millennia, through all the ages, have been at the very same place that we are at today of saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Yeah. Father, I want to thank you for my brother. I thank you that from the womb, you called him to your purposes and created him with the gifts and the abilities that he has to lead your people in the amazing ways that he has in the past, that he is today, and that he will in the future. I want to pray over he and Donna and their family today what you said to Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. And I want to thank you for positioning them here, um, a light in this city, leaders in this city, builders in the city, a Nehemiah in this city to rebuild the wall and to build up your church, the church that is all about Jesus being seen and known in this city. I pray for this, the team here, for these 60 leaders, these men and women who lead the door holders here. And God, I pray today that they would sense and know that while we don't know everything, we know you. Yeah. And you are in it all right now, a firm foundation and I pray, Lord, that they would know the power of your Holy Spirit breathing into them, into the confusion, into the processing. And I pray that they would know and sense today that you have called them out and set them on a hill here for your purposes and your plans. And those purposes and plans will not be thwarted. Jesus, you said that you would build your church and the gates of Hades would not overcome it. Thank you that you have been doing that in D.C. before Passion City arrived, yeah. that you're doing it in D.C. today. Yeah. And Lord, I pray that through these hard times, Lord, you will just forge an even stronger church, yeah. an even bold, a more bold church, a, a church that is more dependent on you and more vibrant in every corner of this city. Yeah. I pray that for Maryland, Virginia, the district. I pray that Jesus would be known. Yeah. That Jesus would be seen, that lives would be changed, that neighborhoods would be transformed. And that from this place, this epicenter, that Jesus will go out to every part of the world. Yeah. 
And I thank you for that, Lord. We have confidence in you, and I thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Yeah. Yes, Lord. Father, we pray you'd comfort those who are mourning today because lives were lost here. And we pray for comfort for their families and their friends. And Father, I pray for peace in the hearts of those who are afraid. I pray for faith to rise in the hearts of those who uh, are finding their emotions wheeling about between anger and confusion and fear and sadness. And I just pray, Father, that there would be a centering as we fix our eyes on you. So I do pray for our whole house uh, of Passion City in Atlanta and D.C., and I pray for everybody who's with us today, the church. God, I just think about the words of Isaiah when he talked to his people. He said, don't fear what they fear. Don't fear what the world fears, but fear God. Let him be your fear. And I just pray that for us as a church, God, may we revere you so that when you say in Psalm 11, you hate violence, I pray we would take that seriously, God. I just pray we'd fear you. We'd take your word seriously. We wouldn't trivialize it or dismiss it. And then when you tell us to have compassion and to pray for those who persecute us, I pray we wouldn't dismiss that. I pray we wouldn't blow that off. I pray we would prioritize that. And so, God, I pray for your church that a holy fear and a holy reverence and a deep and true compassion would take hold of us so that the world and our country that's desperately looking for answers could look and see them in us because your word is truth. Your love is sufficient to turn enemies into friends. You did it with Paul. You took a judgmental murderer and made him a missionary for your namesake. That's, that's the words we read, and we say that all the time, but it's true. And so, God, it's possible for you to change the hearts of people in our country today, and it's possible for you to change our enemies. So, God forbid that we would sin by not praying for them. So, Lord, make us a prayerful church on our knees. Make us a humble church seeking you. Make us a loving church that legitimately cares for those who think and believe and act differently for us. And then I pray, God, that the nation would change because people would change and people that were fighting over issues would come to kneel together at the foot of the cross and find that you're building a family for your glory. And God, in the midst of a trying day, I do pray that revival would break forth because we have found no hope anywhere else but we look to you and find it there. So help us, God, and we seek you. We need you. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.